Diary of a Fly Flit Mommy. Grandma, no gimmicks. <laughs> Welcome to the Diary of a Fly Fit Mommy podcast, your judge-free zone on motherhood, where I share my motherhood journey and extend open arms to those moms who may be suffering from depression. I am your host, Jennifer Christian. Hey guys, today I have Siobhan Odom. She's a licensed professional counselor that specializes in women in maternal mental health. She's the founder of Acoma Counseling Concepts LLC, which is based out of Washington, D.C. Probably have heard her on one of my favorite podcasts, Therapy for Black Girls, Session 3, On the Couch with Mary Jane Paul. So after hearing her session with Dr. Joy on TBG, I was led to her Instagram page. That session was so good. I just had to find out who this woman was. And I was just completely overjoyed when I seen that she was a maternal mental health therapist. Hi, Siobhan. Hey. So thank you for being with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. So Siobhan, how did you even get into maternal mental health? I didn't even know such a specialist existed. Well, I'd like to think that I feel like that specialization is something that's becoming fairly new, but more common. There's just been new attention being focused on perinatal mental health. And so discussions are starting to be had. Which is great. So what has inspired you to tap into such a voiceless community? Well, I had a job that I didn't like and a boss that I didn't like. And so... um, I figured that instead of complaining about my job for a time too long, maybe I can do something about it. And doing something about it meant providing therapy to the people that I love in the way that I feel uh, should be provided. And so that's how I decided to come up with my practice. I had worked at a clinic I didn't like. I worked for a supervisor that I didn't like. And I, I didn't like it because they primarily, I didn't like the way they were treating the patients that they service, and most of the patients that they service were African-American, and a large part of the population were moms, uh, because this clinic also had um, a midwifery team and a birthing center, so um, I was just noticing that there was a lot of meaningful dialogue that was not happening with moms during their prenatal and postpartum visits, and I also noticed that there was a lot of courageous conversations again, that needed to be had with moms, and they, they weren't being had. And I also, I, I also was seeing that many primary care providers were not trained to detect postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. So a lot of things were being missed, and these very important, um, and these very important appointments, and a lot of fear was coming from out of these appointments. And so I really enjoy working with moms. I really enjoy um, being a part of their journey. And I did some research and I realized that there were no therapists of color that had a private practice that focuses on maternal mental health in D.C. So I said, well, I'll create it and let's see what happens. Oh, wow. Here we are. That's super dope. And I can say I definitely appreciate you for taking the initiative to make that happen. Thank you. 
So can you explain what perinatal and postpartum depression and maternal mental health just is? Sure. Um, can I also touch on baby blues too? Absolutely. So um, basically, let's start with baby blues. Baby blues happens uh, within two to two two days to two weeks after birth. Baby blues is not a disorder. It only happens in two days to two weeks after you give birth. Anything, um, any symptoms of sadness, um, depression that go on for longer than those two weeks can go into the postpartum depression realm. We use, I use the word perinatal to describe the term, um, to describe the time frame of prenatal and postpartum all in one. Uh, so for women of color, postpartum depression actually happens prenatally um, at a higher rate than postpartum. So what I'm saying is that postpartum depression, postpartum depression, the symptoms tend to be higher while the mom is pregnant. Um, why? I don't know. Uh, but women of color, African-American women and Latinas, they have the highest rate postpartum depression than any other moms in the country. Baby blues is your typical irritability, uh, short patience, teariness, sadness, feeling overwhelmed. Um, and again, that's normal, that's natural. The statistic is that about, according to Postpartum Support International, about 80% of all moms experience baby blues. It's fairly common. Um, however, um, once that two-week time period goes on and it turns into a month to two months and you're still continuing to feel this um, sadness, this irritability, lots of interesting things, you cannot recall the last time you laughed, you have a diminished appetite, um, you just always feel anxious, you always feel tired, always feel sad. Sometimes you may not even want to hold the baby, but you don't want anybody else to hold the baby. Those, those are pretty much, that's your symptoms of depression because general, in general, pregnancy in general, you're, you're going to feel tired. But with rest, you will feel a little restored. Um, with pregnancy, general pregnancy, you're going to have the appetite. When you're feeling depressed perinatally, you don't feel an appetite at all. Um, and so it's really kind of hard to pay attention to appetite um, with moms because it's very easy to, to joke and talk about how you get lost in the routine of doing things. You forget to feed yourself. So that can be easily missed. But the reality is, listen, your stomach is not growling. You haven't felt hungry. And you don't know when's the last time you felt hungry. Um, that's definitely a symptom of some type of postpartum mood disorder. It's not normal. I'm trying to think, yes, um, your attention span as well. Um, once again, you're going to feel overwhelmed. You may forget to do something, typical pregnancy. But postpartum, you're forgetting to do things because your mind is so overwhelmed with your sadness, your inability to attach to your baby, your fears that you won't be able to attach to your baby. And like, once again, worry. Worry is normal for a first-time mom or a fifth or sixth-time mom after you give birth to a baby. However, 
worry is not um, normal when it becomes excessive and you just start to panic about everything. And an example of normal worry is when you, your first couple of showers as a mom, you want to go and shower, but then you may trust a family member or a friend that's already a parent or a partner to watch your baby, but you're still very worried about, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to my baby in like the 10 minutes I'm in the shower. And then you come out and you see your baby's fine. That worry's gone. Well, for a postpartum mood disorder or perinatal mood disorder, um, that worry never ends. You've come out the shower. You see that your baby is fine. Now you want to know, oh my gosh, is my, ba- is my baby, even though my baby looks okay, is my baby really okay? And, you know, is my baby hungry? Do I know what I need to know for my baby to be okay? Am I a good enough mom? How come I stayed away from the baby for 11 minutes in the shower instead of five? If I was a good mom, then I would have just, it would have only taken me five minutes to shower. And it just goes on. So with the diagnosing or the symptoms, how soon are they, uh, are you usually able to diagnose a mom or does a mom usually see the symptoms of uh, postpartum or, and or baby blues? I love that question because sometimes moms see the different the symptoms and they ignore them. Sometimes the moms see the symptoms and they normalize them. Not every mom that sees the symptoms and feels in um, immediate need to treat them. And so um, I always commend moms that if you feel that something is wrong and you're not you, I always commend the moms that go and get help. And so you said, when would a mom be diagnosed? Um, You'd be amazed. Um, Some women, they have doctors that are on top of it. And um, they work with people that are called perinatal um, psychiatrists or reproductive psychiatrists. And they can diagnose that from early on. I mean, before a baby's even a month old. Um, I've had moms that have been referred to me and their babies have been, have been as young as two months or a month old. Um, the one thing, so, so you can definitely see it. You can definitely see it pretty early on. Um, and if your doctor is trained to recognize these symptoms, they'll recognize that and do a referral. Some doctors are not trained. So in my experience of having children, I don't feel like the doctors that I've had were really in tune because I know there's a postpartum checkup after you have given birth, and it's usually either between 6 and 12 weeks. And they do ask you questions that are very basic in general, like how are you coping? And just are you doing okay? Or how is motherhood? But not really trying to tap into the true feeling of mom. How does that look? Uh, how, how can a mom go about getting additional help like or getting the diagnosis? If she comes to her doctor and she says, I mean, I'm doing okay or, you know, I'm tired. I haven't had any sleep. At what point should the doctor be, you know, raising a red flag or referring the patient to some type of therapist? So this is an important thing. An important thing is, one, it's important that we research our doctors before we use them for perinatal care because not all doctors complete a psychiatric rotation which is scary because they also have clearance to, pres- to prescribe psychotropic medications. And so I mentioned that because as women of color, 
a lot of times children and um, people of color, they, we always talk about how they're overdiagnosed. Well, they're overdiagnosed because we overutilize primary care when we should go to a psychiatrist. So I want to put that out there first. The second thing that a mom can do to better equip herself is when she goes to her OBGYN. And so a lot of times pediatricians sometimes can be the ones to detect it. So um, because they're seeing the mom for the well child visit. So once again, um, one of the, and I'll be honest with you, I've met primary care providers and when they see parents at a well child visit, they're very much like my focus is on the child and not the mom. Because again, if you didn't go and get a psychiatric rotation, you don't understand. You don't even care to look at the mom. Right. You're looking at the patient as a scientific problem, which is not okay. So what I would say is to, um, you can Google, it's called the Edinburgh Depression Screen, E-D-I, and as in Nancy, B as in boy, U-R-G as in girl, H as in happy. The Edinburgh Scale is the most universally used tool to self-screen for symptoms of depression. You take that to your primary care provider and they'll look, they'll look at it. And once they score it, if your primary care provider has the referral resources, then they will refer you to a therapist that may be able to help you. Here's what is important for you to know. If you live in the District of Columbia, unfortunately, most of your perinatal therapists do not accept health insurance. Not only am I the only therapist of color that has the only practice that specializes in this for moms of color, I'm also the only practice in D.C. that accepts multiple health insurances. And oh, so wow. that ties into what I'm saying. Like, you can bring this scale to your doctor, but if your doctor doesn't have the resources to connect you to who you need to go to, you can still be very lost. And so as you can see, there's a lot of footwork that needs to be done in the realm of perinatal mental health awareness, postpartum support international, as well as um, many different legislative teams in different states, such as New Jersey and Massachusetts. They are working aggressively to try to standardize these screens in all um, perinatal visits. Um, I was on the uh, judiciary review. Um, I testified at a hearing in, um, in D.C. Superior Court to legislate, to pretty much to be a proponent for the legislation for a maternal health bill that would require all perinatal um, providers to provide this screening at all prenatal and postpartum and well-child visits. So um, there's a lot of footwork and grassroots movement that is being done nationwide, especially in California, um, for this to become mainstream uh, because unfortunately it's, it's, it's not. And so what a mom can do to advocate for herself is to complete that screen, bring it to the provider and ask the provider, hey, do you see what I've completed here? What do you think of my, my screen? Is everything okay? Is everything not okay? What do you suggest? One thing that I definitely have to say here is um, not every time that you score positive for postpartum depression is a primary care provider or a therapist going to recommend medication to you. I want you to keep that in mind. Um, I have had clients that have never had to use a psychotropic medication for their postpartum depression. However, there are some that may suggest that. And um, you also would have to be susceptible to that. Um, 
And it doesn't mean that you're a failure or that you've done anything wrong. What that means is that your brain literally cannot produce enough serotonin or dopamine for you to be happy and to actually establish an emotional bond with your child. And so in order for your brain to make your neurotransmitters snap and fire and produce those chemicals for happiness, your brain may require some of those psychotropic medicines to create those chemicals and restore the damage that's been um, impacted on the brain. Because for some women who may have gone never ever seeing a therapist, some women have undiagnosed things like bipolar disorder, which for some celebrities like a Britney Spears first got diagnosed in her pregnancy. And so if you have undiagnosed bipolar and you're pregnant, um, the neurological damage that gets impacted on a brain from uh, manic episodes, sometimes without treatment, no, not with sometimes, most times without treatment, often can go irreparable. So you really do have to introduce those, um, those medications, the first-line medications. It really is life or death because your body is actually putting in more energy to maintain the depressed state than it is to actually provide nutrients to your baby. And so that's, and even postpartum, your body's providing more energy to maintain the depressed state than it is to actually produce your breast milk, than it is for you to actually um, be just well and happy. And it actually depletes your body's ability to produce white blood cells, which can make you susceptible to being sick, which would then make your baby sick. So this is why this is a pretty important discussion to have. Definitely. So can you tell me what a standard treatment or a session looks like for someone that comes into your office that is seeking help for postpartum depression? Well, one, for ethical and legal reasons, I don't do um, cookie cutter. Um, I don't do cookie cutter things for my clients because as a licensed mental health therapist, we are trained to pretty much do person centered intervention. Mm-hmm. What works for one mom definitely is not going to work for the next. So what a session would typically look like for me, um, just meeting somebody for the first time is I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to um, get to know them, kind of understand, uh, learn about their birth story, ask them about their mental health history, ask them about their family mental health history. If you're a woman, if you've had a prior history of depression, or postpartum, I mean, or um, really rough PMS, something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder where the mood swings are just insane. Um, or if you have a family history of postpartum depression or family history of depression and bipolar and anxiety, you are at risk for having postpartum depression. So it's important for me to know those things, being to know someone. Um, and then I would definitely do um, the Edinburgh Depression Scale to assess their level of depression, to see if they have any depression or no depression at all. Um, and so I'd also take the time to uh, just get to know the mom. Sometimes moms come in and I don't get to ask all those questions. They're so anxious. They're so depressed. They just want to talk about how they're feeling in that moment. Sometimes we get moms that are so depressed and so anxious, they're flat. They, they don't even want to talk. They've shown up because their primary care provider has encouraged them to go to therapy. They've shown up because a relationship partner or a family member has encouraged them to go to therapy. 
So they're just showing up and they're kind of feeling me out. Um, so, and then there are some sessions where I am able to ask my questions to affect their mood and depression, anxiety, and get all that background history. And it takes about, it takes about two to three sessions um, for me to really adequately assess what's going on. Um, because I tell everybody, it's kind of like a first date. There's no way you can give that date any advice. You just met them. They just met you. And so you're getting to know each other. Um, and also, for the purposes of your podcast, I think it's important to know that as a licensed professional counselor, I'm not a medical doctor, so therefore I'm not a psychiatrist, and I cannot um, prescribe medications. I can only provide therapy and diagnose and refer to psychiatrists for medications if necessary. Right. So in my experience with dealing with psychiatrists, um, I've, I've been to one before. And it was so impersonable. And he talked to me for maybe like 10 minutes and then prescribed me depression medication and then Mm -hmm. uh, referred me to a therapist within his office. And I was just like, well, I mean, I didn't come in here to get drugs. (laughs) I came in here to really like just put it all out there and then you assess the situation and give me feedback, and then we can decide, I guess, later if that's even needed, right? So mm-hmm. is that a normal thing, or is it, you know, does the conversations, should the conversations be had ahead, ahead of time before just jumping in and writing prescriptions? So I'm glad you asked that question. Um, psychiatrists are, so back in 1980, you'd find a psychiatrist that did therapy. Psychiatrists are not trained to do therapy in today's time. I actually know two psychiatrists that love to do therapy, and that's an actual positive for them. But most psychiatrists today, they're trained to keep their sessions pretty brief. Um, they are pretty much assessing to see if there's anything that's happening with you neurologically that can be impacting any somatic treatment, somatic um, issues. My favorite type of psychiatrist will do lab tests. So, and so blood tests to pretty much kind of see what's going on. And they're pretty much just preventing from there. But okay. your social workers, your counselors, your marriage family therapists, your psychologists, counselors, we're the ones that are trained to sit down with you for 45 minutes to an hour and actually go through you know, whatever you're feeling, whatever you've been experiencing, whatever's stressing you out, we're the ones that are trained to sit with you for 45 minutes to an hour, whether it's weekly or biweekly. We're the ones that are trained to do that. Your psychiatrist is not. So my best advice to you is if you are referred to a psychiatrist, if your psychiatrist sits with you for 45 minutes, you stick with that psychiatrist. That's a really good one. (laughs) Because most of them are not going to sit with you that long, not in 2018. So the weird thing for me was I wasn't referred. I called and made my own appointment. I had never seen a therapist. So he had no, nothing to go off of. So I guess going into mm-hmm. the situation for me, it was like, you don't want to know anything. You don't want to know my life before you give me medication. But I wasn't aware that the proper thing to do would probably be to see a therapist first 
and then have the referral from the therapist to the psychiatrist if needed? Well, again, and I don't mean any disrespect to anybody that's a life coach, but life coaching tends to tell people this is the one way the things have to be. We're going to sell you a package and this is what it's going to be. Whenever you're dealing with anybody that's licensed and certified in the health field, we're not going to tell you that this is, this, you got to do it this, 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 this. So we're dealing with a human being. And so what it sounds like to me is that you had a very impersonal experience with a psychiatrist that was a very not personal um, individual. It's okay if you see a psychiatrist first. It's okay if you see a psychiatric nurse practitioner first before you see a therapist. As a therapist, I love when somebody gets referred to me from a psychiatrist or a psychiatric nurse practitioner because um, the golden standard is that the medical doctor or the medical professional's diagnosis trumps the therapist. So it weeds out a lot of things for me. Um, so you can do, you can see a therapist first and then see the psychiatrist, or you can see your psychiatrist and your therapist in the same week. Um, whatever works for you, whatever works for your schedule. But I like to say this, um, in, just out of respect for my behavior health colleagues, we don't practice the same. We practice differently individually. So you're not going to see a psychiatrist that's going to practice the same as the next psychiatrist. Got it. Um, we all went to different graduate schools. We all had different trainings. So, and you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed at some of the things some schools may teach us that certain things are okay. And then some of my other colleagues may have learned that what I was taught was not okay. It's totally fine from their grad school. So just like our patients are human beings and we have to take the time to get to know who we're working with and we have to research you and establish a rapport, I, um, we also have to be in mindful mind of that when we're trusting people to deal with our bodies. Right. Me, myself personally, I like I research anybody that is providing care to Siobhan Odom. I research them. I've had clients that have come and they've read me my bio. I'm like, wow, I didn't know all that was out in the, in the you know, Google. So, um, but I, I get happy when they do that. Um, so I always, I always say that because it's a match in chemistry is very important for the work that we do. So please feel free to get as aggressive as you need to to research your providers, all of your providers' backgrounds. I mean, me personally, anybody that provides care to me, they're all African-American women of care. My orthodontist, my OBGYN, my primary care provider, my dermatologist, my therapist, they're all women of color. And you better believe that I researched because the website, information on the website was not enough for me. So I went and did some more Google searching. I called the office. I asked them questions. And I just wanted to get a feel. And if I felt like who I was speaking to on the phone or even the receptionist didn't feel warm and inviting enough, I guess I wasn't going there. No, I absolutely understand. You know, Google is everyone's friend. So we definitely should be using it to research those that are dealing with us, our bodies especially. Yeah, but I'm glad that you brought up your experience because... Oftentimes that happens, that happens when we can go and we're trusting a licensed professional and 
we can have an experience where we don't like. I mean, I once went to a therapist and I was just ready to walk up, walk out of the session immediately. I didn't understand why they went to, to grad school. I just, <laughs> I felt like she was so cold. And so I, I did not return. I just went, I, I found another therapist. And it did take some time. It did take some time to find another therapist. So back on to postpartum depression, how long is it considered postpartum before it's just depression at this point? Postpartum depression is a time period that begins during pregnancy and exactly up until your baby's first birthday. Anything after that is not postpartum depression. So if you've got a friend and they have a four to five year old child and they're postpartum depression, no, you don't have postpartum depression. You might just have symptoms of major depressive disorder. Have you ever dealt with any moms of multiples by chance? Uh, I've dealt with moms that have lost multiples. Okay. I'm glad that you asked that because you don't have to give birth. Somebody asked me this on Instagram Live today. Um, you don't have to give birth to a live baby in order for you to feel postpartum depression. I mean, in order to be um, to have postpartum depression. You can suffer a miscarriage. You can have a stillbirth and still suffer from symptoms of postpartum depression. You can be an adoptive mom and still suffer from symptoms of postpartum depression. And actually, one in ten dads have postpartum depression. I was going to actually ask you that because I think a lot of times we do always focus on the care of the mom. And since I've been so interested in maternal mental health, I was thinking, like, I wonder, do dads actually suffer through this as well? Dads? Can. Dad can have symptoms of postpartum depression. The numbers are like one in three women of color have postpartum depression. One in seven American women have postpartum dads have postpartum depression. Um, I'm going to be honest, at least out here in the DMV, there's like very little support for postpartum dads. Um, there's not even a postpartum dad group. I don't know why this wow. is. Um, there's so little research on postpartum depression for dads. It's so needed. Um, I have not seen a postpartum dad in my practice. I honestly, I wouldn't be the best person to tell you what that looks like in dads, but I do know that it's happening. I do know that it's happening. Wow, that's so interesting. I never had really thought about it until I started digging deep into just maternal mental health altogether. It has me looking at just certain situations differently. I'll say since I've had children and then I've had postpartum depression with certain pregnancies, I have looked at, um, I'll say, situations where a mother may like inflict harm on themselves or you hear of situations where a mom has, you know, harmed a child. So before I would judge just completely like, oh, my God, Send her to jail. She's terrible. <laughs> and since going through postpartum depression, I just look at every situation completely different. I don't look at it like, of course, I, of course it's wrong. I look at it as, what was she going through? What could have sent her there, you know? I'm glad that you brought that up because, unfortunately, the, the descriptions that you provided are the most common stereotypes associated with postpartum depression. Only one in 1,000 moms, moms experience postpartum psychosis. And so some of the things that you're describing is that. Um, I've been licensed since 2010. I've never seen postpartum psychosis. Um, not to say that I won't see it, 
but I haven't seen it. And I feel comfortable in saying that I just came to the postpartum support international conference in Houston. And, um, I got to you know, network with other perinatal mental health therapists. And many of us had the same experience. We had, we had not seen that in our practices yet. Um, what, um, when people are talking about mom harming themselves and feeling severely depressed, um, that suicidal, suicidal thought is um, the result of having severe postpartum depression. Um, and I want to make sure we talk about this because if somebody has major depressive disorder, they have the same um, risk with severe major depressive disorder, which is suicidal thoughts. But I also want to say that there's a difference between having suicidal thoughts and actual suicidal ideation. And then there's something called active suicidal ideation and passive suicidal ideation. But this might clear up some things for some people. So there are times when someone may tell a therapist, hey, I'm thinking about killing myself. The therapist doesn't flinch. And so the therapist will ask you, well, have you been thinking about this? Or have you actually started collecting methods to do it? Oh, I've just thought about it. You know, sometimes I go to sleep and I wish I didn't wake up. We call those suicidal thoughts. But when someone has suicidal ideation, that's more serious. Right. Yes, it's been called passive suicidal ideation, which is, oh, it would just be great if I just wasn't here anymore. And, you know, I've just stopped eating and I've stopped taking my medication because what's the point of being here? Again, that's passive. Now, here's what will make your, your therapist be like, oh, yeah, we need to do something ASAP. When you have active suicidal ideation. Not only have I been thinking about myself, not only have I not been eating, not only have I not been taking my meds, like I've actually started to collect things and actually I've attempted several times. I just happened to live this go around. And so those are the different levels of suicide. And this is why we say it's important to go to a licensed professional, a trained licensed mental health professional, because unfortunately, as we've seen in the news, some moms have gone to untrained medical professionals that freak out when they hear a mom saying, hey, I've had thoughts about dropping my baby. I've had thoughts about just not living here anymore. We so, call those intrusive thoughts. We call uh, those intrusive thoughts. And so only a, a trained therapist that's been trained in the realm of perinatal mental health can actually tell you the difference between an intrusive thought and an active suicidal ideation. I'm glad that you mentioned um, some professionals freaking out because I actually read an article some time ago about a mom who went to her eight-week follow-up postpartum appointment with her OBGYN and she expressed to the nurse that she had been sad and not being able to cope and however she said she was sitting in the office waiting for her physician to walk in and some time went by and at the door is two police officers mm-hmm. who exco- escorted her to the hospital. And she was at the hospital for about like 10 hours. Um, she couldn't hold her baby or anything while she was there. She had to have family members come up to the hospital, you know, to take the baby. And it was just a long, drawn-out process. And she was like, I just wanted some help. I just had the baby. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been able to cope. And I think situations like that, make other moms scared to even go and see a licensed mental health professional. You're absolutely right. 
in that whole scenario, the perinatal mental health community, we were outraged when we read about that. But that's why it's even more important that our medical doctors and um, some of these psychiatric facilities become trained in perinatal mental health. On my Instagram page, um, a coma underscore counseling, I posted last week uh, two slides. There were a list of um, outpatient and partial um, outpatient treatment facilities that all they do is perinatal mental health. And unfortunately, all 50 states don't have these things. Um, I know uh, UNC, I think it's UNC Greensboro, they have a maternal mental health unit. It only holds up to five beds, but there's nothing like it in most states. And I think it's only a handful of these types of facilities exist. Some of these facilities have grant funding, so you don't even need insurance. Some, not all. So we still have a long way to go. And that mom that was subjected to that horrible treatment, she has now become very active in trying to um, pass legislation that requires uh, medical providers to be trained in postpartum depression screening. Because that happened to her because she, once again, she went to a clinic that they were not trained in postpartum depression. Um, they, weren't, they weren't trained in perinatal mood disorders and how to screen and treat for them. And then they took her to a hospital that didn't have any training in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders either. And what I, what I do remember from that story is that a social worker came to her and apologized to her and said, ma'am, I don't even know why you're here. You don't even need to be in the ER. You just, need, you just needed to have been referred to a therapist. Right. And, so it's just a waste of um, everyone's you know, time at this point. Right. And tax dollars. And so it's, it's the other thing, too, that I think everybody needs to know. It is unethical for a provider to screen you for depression and not refer you to treatment. So um, there are, um, like I know in D.C., we have the D.C. PMHresourceguide.com. Um, it's a website where you can go and research any perinatal mental health therapist or any doula or birth worker that's been trained in perinatal mental health. And um, while I'm talking to you, I'm sorry, I hit it back. While I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm, one, I'm pulling up the website for a national directory. It's called um, thepostpartumproject.com. And that's a website. It's a national directory um, of pretty much perinatal um, specialists. So once we, we'll find doulas, um, perinatal yo um, yogis, um, reproductive psychiatrists, therapists that we all have received some specialized training in perinatal mental health. Can you address any myths that are associated with postpartum depression? Yes. The first myth is that if you are, if you have postpartum depression, that you're going to go crazy and you're going to be psychotic and you're going to kill your kids. That's a myth. Um, <laughs> that's a myth. So one in 1,000, just one in 1,000 moms. The second myth is if I have postpartum depression, it means I'm going to have to go on medication. That's a myth. Not every mom that has postpartum depression has to take medication. Um, the third myth is if I have postpartum depression, they're going to take away my kids. That's a myth. That's a myth. I'm glad you put that one out there. 
Yeah, it's it's the biggest one. And then the fourth one, if I have postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, I'm a bad mom. And me and my kid are just doomed. That's a bit. Also, 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 fifth one, you might have to tell me to stop now because I can live forever. <laughs> the fifth myth, the fifth myth is for all of our God-fearing people, you know, and I'm Christian as well. The fifth myth is that you're not praying hard enough. That you're not oh a good enough my. Christian. Let me tell you. So <laughs> that is like the number one thing that I heard when I would express my feelings or, you know, me going through postpartum depression after having twins. It would be, oh, um, I'm pray for you or just just pray and you'll be OK. And I'm like, no, but I'm not. I am not OK. And I'm praying. <laughs> like. It's it's crazy mm-hmm, that that's mm-hmm. the one thing that people are always like, oh, you just got to pray about it. And I understand, but what's prayer without action? You got to put some action behind it, too. I get that. I get that. But I also think that some people also fail to realize that God knows what he was doing when he created our brains. You know, it's just like our brains are just having some neurological deficits right now. <laughs> and so, you know, God also creates other people to help carry out God's work. There are some people... Some of the most religious people I've ever met are medical doctors. You understand? Like, they're medical doctors or they're nurses, they're midwives, they're doulas, they're therapists. You know, and when you really think about it and you think about what do therapists do, well, we help people enjoy life. Because we think that life is just that amazing. We believe everybody should enjoy life. Right. So for the religious people out there, isn't that what the Bible is telling us to do? You know, appreciate life. So, um, and again, I'm a therapist that has a biblical scripture on the wall of my office. So um, I believe you can pray and and you can pray, you know, with me in your sessions. I've had clients that have said a prayer for me in session. I welcome it. So um, honestly, um, that's just a huge myth that you're not praying hard enough or that you're not a good enough Christian. Um, I like to always tell people God made everything good. God didn't make any mistakes. So, key word is God, not a human being telling you how you need to be a better Christian. Um, oh, yeah, the other myth is that you're going crazy. You're not going crazy. Like, you carry a human being, a whole human being. You know, it's going to take a lot. Yeah. Some moms lose hair. Some moms lose vitamins. That's why you got to take them. Some moms gain a lot of weight. You're, you're carrying a human, whether you carry your baby to term or whether you carried your baby to heaven, you carried a human being. Like, so sometimes maybe it didn't take away from your ability to grow hair or it didn't take away from your ability to maintain nutrients. It literally took away from your neurological development. Right. So I, um, you know, pregnancy impacts everybody differently. It definitely does. Um, I was just going to say, um, somebody also asked me today in the chat, which is a really good one on IG Live, what's the pre-qualifying factor to have postpartum depression? You have to be pregnant or, you know, um, have adopted, have adopted a child, a baby. So when, you're, when you have, case, be with a partner. When you have <laughs> someone in treatment, is there any action plan that you require or acts of the family to help? With the person's... It's all person-specific. Okay. It's all person-specific. You know, like, I had a client who had a, an in-law that was a psychiatrist, and 
a sibling that was a nurse, psychiatric nurse practitioner. My recommendations for that client and their family may be different than what I may have for a client that comes from, um, you know, a, a marital union with no family support right. or a, it might be different that I might, that what I might give to a single parent that conceived via IVF and has a ton of family support or has no family support or is second generation, um, you know, no, first generation American. Uh, that's another thing that we also haven't talked about in this podcast. This immigration epidemic has been impacting my practicing on low levels. And that definitely contributes to postpartum as well, wow. postpartum depression as well. So, um, and again, my recommendations would also be different, especially if I if I have a client that's in a same-sex relationship and they're being ostracized and alienated from their family. So everything is different. Every recommendation I give is different. Well, do you have any encouraging words for someone that just may be surf- suffering in silence but maybe is listening and apprehensive about seeking a mental health professional? Yes. You are not alone. You're not alone. If you're scared to go out and talk to other people, you can do something like call the Postpartum Support International online. It's totally confidential. Um, and periodically, I also have a online mom support group, and it's totally confidential. Um, and find one person that you feel that you can trust to talk about what you are feeling. And if you're scared to talk about what you're thinking, that's fine. But find at least one person you can talk about, about what you're feeling. And if you feel like that person has let you down with what you're sharing with them, it just means that person was not a good support person for you. So keep building your support system. It's okay to talk about that you're not okay. It's okay for you to choose getting professional help that you can be, continue to be, the best mom that your child will ever have. And, you know, going to therapy or talking to a mental health professional about your feelings is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Um, And you do not have to be ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed and you don't have to be guilty. Nothing that you did caused this to happen to you. And it's not indicative of how you are as a parent. You're actually very brave and have a lot of cover, um, courage for you to actually realize, hey, I'm not feeling okay. I deserve better. And, you know, my family also deserves a chance at me being well and me modeling what wellness looks like. Thank you for those encouraging words. I'm sure they are definitely touching someone. How can our listeners reach you? Like, what's your social media? What's your email or your website? Sure. So on social media on Instagram is Acoma underscore counseling, A-K-O-M as in mother, A underscore counseling, C-O-U as in Nancy, S-E-L-I-N-G. And then I'm on Twitter at Acoma Counseling. Um, Facebook, Acoma Counseling Concepts, LLC. And my website is www acoma counseling concepts c-o-n-c-e t as in paul t as in tom s dot com my email my contact email is on there i periodically do ig lives and ask um, answer questions and you can also 
you're interested in learning more about postpartum depression and how to provide culturally competent care to moms of color or what you need to know to advocate for yourself as a mom of color in your mental health, you can also be on the lookout for my training. They're called Perinatal Mood Disorders and Minority Mental Health. Um, if you are a licensed professional and you're listening, it's accredited by the National Board for Certified Counselors for 3.5 CEs. You do not have to be a mental health or medical professional to participate in these trainings. Um, you can be a mom. You can be a blogger. The more you know, you know, the more we grow. And so I've uh, introduced it as a webinar format. And so I'm launching my first webinar tomorrow. And um, if anyone's interested, I can definitely launch it again in the future. Or I can come to you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Siobhan, for joining us today. I definitely appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Not a problem at all. And thank you guys for tuning in to Diary of a Fly Fit Mommy podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at FlyFitMommy. Also, visit my website, www.flyfitmommy.com. And if you or someone you may know is suffering from depression, I want to always encourage you to seek a licensed mental health professional. As always, real mom, no gimmicks. Peace out.